We've been in this series for the last uh, four weeks. This is the fourth week, and some of you will be relieved to know the final week. Pastor Darren will be back next week um, to start us off on a new series, and so I get to go back to my regular job, and my family gets to breathe a little easier um, as we slack a little bit going into the fall. I'm just kidding. I'm going to work hard. Um, but, um, but we're excited for what Darren, um, Pastor Darren has coming back, what he's got to share with us. But we're going to finish strong today because I believe that God has a good word for us this morning as we finish out this um, series, Missing. Now, we started this four weeks ago, really, um, and, and the drive behind it, the, the, the reason we started this series is because I realized that in my own life, there have been seasons um, throughout my life where, where this just felt like something's not quite there. Like there's just something more that should be there. There's something missing in my life. And, and I feel like that's probably true for you. At some point in your life, no matter how great things have been, no matter how bad things have been, at some point in your life, you've had that feeling that there's just something missing. And, and it's something that we can't quite put our finger on. And we think that, man, if I try this, maybe this will fix that. Maybe this will fix it over here. Or maybe, maybe I should go after this. And so I thought, man, we really need to look at what God says is missing, and see if we can't figure out how to get that thing, how we can find what God says we should have. Because Jesus promised us something different than what most of us have experienced. In, um, <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know about you, but that has not always been my experience as I follow Jesus, as I live my life. It's not always been my experience that I find that rest for my soul, that there's an anxiousness about me, that's something that's unsettled. And, and that's the thing that we're talking about that's missing, this rest for our souls, this easy and light burden. So how do we find it? Well, four weeks ago, we looked at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, and, and he said this, that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And what we discovered is that part of what's missing, the, the big picture, the piece that's missing, really, is this being fully surrendered to God. That's the puzzle that we're trying to figure out. What does it look like? What does it mean to be fully surrendered to God? Because Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you've got to lay it down for me. And so how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, the last few weeks we've been looking at that. We looked at a man who, who did that, who found his life's calling, who found what God was asking him to do, and we, we looked at how he pursued God and what, what he did to find that. And we, we found some clues as to what we could do to find our own life's work, our own calling, what God is asking us to do, as we looked at Nehemiah three weeks ago. And then last week we said, well, God's asking us to do some pretty big stuff, some pretty hard stuff. How is it even possible for us to do these things? And, and we looked at how God gives us these gifts through the Holy Spirit, how the Spirit dwells in us and empowers us to do the things that God has called us and asked us to do. And so we've kind of taken a close-up look at some of the pieces that we can fit together to get this thing that God says is rest for our souls. But I think that it's time, as we, as we wrap this up, what I think that we need to do to kind of close this out is to take a few steps back and look at the whole picture. What does this look like when all of it comes together? What does the life fully surrendered to God look like when all of the pieces are in place? What does the whole puzzle look like when it's finally complete? And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Philippians. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be towards the end of that chapter. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put it up on the screen for you so you can follow along up there. 
Um, but the reason we're looking at this book in particular is because Paul writes something to this church. Now, now Paul, we talked about him a little bit last week. He was an apostle, went around, planted some churches, and then wrote a bunch of letters back to those churches to encourage them, to equip them, to correct them. Well, <clears throat> most of the time when Paul wrote a letter, there was something going on in the church that he needed to fix. There was something happening that he needed to correct, some wrong belief that he needed to address. And, and Philippians is a little bit different because... It's not as strong a language. I mean, Paul says, hey, there's some things you should think about, but he doesn't really rebuke them like he does some of the other churches. And so we kind of get this feeling that, I mean, I'm sure that Paul didn't have favorites, but if Paul had a favorite, I think Philippians would have been it. And so he writes to Philippians this passionate letter where he wants them to to know fully who God is and to know fully what it looks like to follow God. And he's really encouraging them. And so I think that would be a good place for us to start, to try and see the big picture, the whole puzzle. But that's not the only reason. The other reason to look at Philippians is because I think that we, here in Colorado Springs, have a little bit in common with the city of Philippi that Paul was writing to. And here's why I say that. The city of Philippi was, was on a major trade route. There was a lot of traffic coming through that city, a lot of people in and out of that city. And if you know Colorado Springs, you know that we have a lot of people in and out of our city, not only because of I-25 and the passageway there, but because we're a big military town. And so there's a lot of people that come into our city for a few years and then leave, and that was common in Philippi as well. The other thing that, that they have in common is Philippi was very diverse in that there were, there, were, there were rich people there. There was a lot of wealth there, but there was also a lot of brokenness and poverty. And I think Colorado Springs can mirror that as well, that there's some wealth here, that there's, in our city there are uh, people of affluence, but there's also brokenness and poverty. The other thing that we have in common, I think, with the city of Philippi, the city of Philippi was located in Rome. They were proud of their Roman citizenship. They were ecstatic that they could call themselves Roman. And the city of Colorado Springs is located in a great country. Maybe, in fact, I would say probably the greatest country, the United States of America. And so we have these things in common where, where we have this um, citizenship, this allegiance to America. And these guys had these uh, uh, citizenship allegiance to Rome. And so we find a lot of similarities and, and commonality between us and the people in Philippi. And so we're going to take a look at what Paul writes to them about their situation and see what we can glean from that and apply to our situation and what we're trying to find. How does this life, the life fully surrendered to God, fit together and what does it look like? So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27, just the first part, and here's what it says. Paul writes to them, and he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in this way. Show yourself to be this way. Now, at face value, this, this has some um, implication for us. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It, it reminds me of something I say to my kids all the time, which is conduct yourselves in a way, I mean, I don't use those words, but basically I tell my kids, hey, 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 that's not how you act at the dinner table, right? That's not how we act in public. And so we get this idea that there's a certain way that we're supposed to act when people are watching. I mean, that's what comes to mind. Conduct yourselves, people, let people see the way that you're living, and he says, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But there's a, there's a more significant undertone to the particular words that Paul used. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible wasn't written in English. 
In fact, most of the New Testament was written in a language called Greek, including this letter. And Paul writes in the Greek, and the word that says conduct yourselves in a manner has, has an undertone to it. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used a few times outside of Scripture, but where we see it used most often, it has this idea of citizenship behind it. There's a political undertone to it. That what really Paul is saying is conduct yourselves as citizens of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves as citizens of Christ. Now this is important when we understand that Rome was, or that Philippi was very proud of their Roman heritage. And so I was thinking about this this weekend, and my family, um, yesterday morning, we, we took a break from things, and we sat down and turned on the TV, and we watched some of the Olympics. And you guys watched the Olympics this weekend, right? I mean, it only comes around. Summer Olympics only every four years, right? So by the time my daughter gets to see them again, she's going to be 14, and she may not want to sit and watch them with me anymore, right? So I, I thought, man, I've got to jump on this, and we've got to participate in this. So we're, we're watching the Olympics, and we're seeing the stories and, and the interviews of the athletes, and, and what do they keep saying? I, I'm just so proud to represent my country. I'm just so, so thrilled that I could be here to represent the United States. I'm so excited that, that I could be a, a, an ambassador of my country here in this place, as they're in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. That must be tough. But our Olympians are representing us through their performance, through their skill, through their athleticism, through um, all of these, what they're doing, the way that they're performing there. But, but more than that, they're representing us in their character, in their sportsmanship, in how they treat other people. And it reminded me of when I was in the Air Force. Man, I forgot. I'm supposed to say military because you guys make fun of me. Um, but when I was in the Air Force... I've already said it now. So when I was in the Air Force, um, I remember going to all these different countries, and my commanding officer, whoever was in charge of us, whenever we would get on the ground in a new country, they would always tell us, hey, hey, remember, you're representing the United States. And what their opinion of you is will be their opinion of our nation. And they weren't talking about our dedication to the job. They weren't talking about how we, well we performed the job. They weren't talking about our knowledge of the job. What they were talking about is the way that we treat people in that country. Are we being rude to people in that country? Are we being, and, and, and what's sad is that in a lot of countries, you can be American, which really means that you're rude and kind of don't think about other people, right? There's kind of a stereotype around the world against Americans, and that's, and that's one of the reasons that our COs always told us, hey, remember who you're representing. And so here's what Paul is saying. Remember who you're representing. You are citizens not of America. What he says to Philippi, you're not citizens of Rome. You are citizens of Christ. Set aside your Roman citizenship in favor for being citizens of Christ. When people see you, they shouldn't see a Roman. They should see a Christian. And so the lesson for us here is that we should live as if our citizenship is not in America, but is in Christ himself. What does it look like to find your citizenship in Christ? I mean, what does that mean? What, what, what does it look like? Well, Paul's going to tell us as we continue to read through the chapter here. Here's the next thing he says, picking up uh, in the same verse, 127, the second half. He says, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know, because you are citizens of Christ, that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So there's a couple of things here that we can pull out. And the first thing that we see here is that Paul says citizens of Christ 
live in unity. And if we've got the, yeah, good. Um, I can't see the highlights on my screen back there, so I need to make sure that you had the right ones. So here's what he says, right? Look at those words that he says. He says, one spirit. Stand firm in the one spirit. Together, as one. There's an idea of unity built into citizenship in Christ. We talked about this really, really briefly last week, but there's this idea that we live, that our posture is not to get whatever we can get. It's not to take as much as we can for ourselves, but that we live committed to one another in unity, lifting each other up, caring for one another, carrying each other's burdens, that we are more concerned about each other than we are about ourselves. And and that's a little bit contradictory to the American culture. Wouldn't you say? I mean, just look at the two front runners in the political race for presidency. They don't exactly scream, I care more about everyone else than I do about myself, do they? But what Paul says is, set aside your American citizenship. Pursue your citizenship in Christ. Live as citizens of Christ. Consider others more significant than yourself. So we're to live in unity. Citizens of Christ live in unity with one another. Now here's another thing that we pick up from this particular passage uh, with the different highlights. What you can see is that Paul says, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving, striving is a key word, striving for what? For the faith of the gospel. There's another idea that Paul is putting out here that it's not just about being unified. It's not about, hey, we come to church and we're just us and we take care of our own and we take care of each other and that's it. There's a mission here, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Citizens of Christ live on mission. Now as Americans, I think this is something we actually get pretty well. I think this is something that, that is kind of has been birthed into our DNA as American citizens. And I think back to um, times of strife in our country, times when the country really came together over one mission. And, and, and what comes to mind first is um, really World War II, when our country came together and said, we will not stand for this atrocity. We will not sit, sit down and take this. We'll come together and we'll pull out all the stops and we'll do whatever it takes to preserve liberty and freedom. And we did. Our country was sacrificed and was committed and went through horrible, terrible things to make sure that we stayed on the mission. It reminds me of um, JFK and his speech back in 1961 when he said, we will put a man on the moon this decade. And an entire nation rallied around that cry and put a man on the moon within about eight years. Americans get mission, don't we? I mean, this room is full of soldiers and some airmen (laughs) who have committed to mission. We get the idea of mission. But the question is, not are we committed to mission, not can we live on mission, because we know that we can as Americans. The question is, what's the mission? Because there's nothing worse than showing up When you're in the military, there's nothing worse than showing up and going, what are we supposed to be doing? We don't have a mission, right? What's the mission? So the question for us is, what is the mission? Well, Jesus told us. It's been the same for more than 2,000 years. It was Jesus' mission when he came. It's the mission he gave to the disciples, and it's the same for us. And just before Jesus went back to heaven, after he died on the cross, after he'd risen from the grave, after he'd been with the disciples for like 45 days, after all of that, when he was getting ready to go back to his Father in heaven, right before the ascension, he said these things in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There's the mission. Go and make disciples. Tell people about Jesus. Introduce them to the God who loves them. Show them that there's forgiveness of sins. Show them that they can be reconciled with God. Show them that there's a future that doesn't involve separation from God and eternity in hell. That there's a, there's a future that involves eternity with God. The most loving, caring, wonderful God who we could ever even imagine, who loves us more than we could possibly understand. That's the mission. To spread the gospel, the good news about Jesus that we can be restored and reconciled to him. The mission hasn't changed. But what does that look like in our culture? What does it look like for us? Because most of us get this, right? If we've grown up in church, we already knew that, right? You probably, even before I said that verse, before the verse came up on there, if you grew up in church, you knew what I was gonna say. Because we've been talking about it for hundreds of years in the church. But why are we talking about it and not doing it. I mean, do we know what it looks like? Do we know what, what it actually feels like? Do we know what it means to do that? Because here's what I think happens. I think that we, we get kind of charged up at times. It's, there's seasons in our life where we go, man, I want to be, like, be evangelistic. I want to tell my friends about Jesus. I want to tell my neighbors. And here's what happens. We get shut down. We go across the street and say, hey, hey neighbor, I, I really, there's something that I want you to know, and I, re, I would really love it if you would come to church with me this weekend because I want you to hear about this thing that, that I think is going to change your life. And they say yes, and then don't show up. Or they say, no, I'm not going to come. And if that's you this morning, if you got drugged here by a neighbor, man, I want you to know we are thrilled that you're here. Like, I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't be here, man. We are thrilled that you are here because we want you to hear the good news about Jesus. We believe it's the most important thing you could ever hear. But here's what's happened. We've tried to share that message. We've tried and we've been shut down. And we feel embarrassed or we feel scared about it or we feel overcome by it. And so Paul addresses that to the Philippians. Here's what he says, picking up in verse 28. He says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Now let me unpack this a little bit, because the language is a little bit funny here. But here's what he says. It says, without being frightened, in the NIV. There's a couple of other versions. One of them says, without being intimidated. And as we really dig into this, what we get is, is this idea that, hey, continue to be on mission, and don't worry about what happens to you. Don't worry about what other people think or say. Don't worry, just continue to be on mission. Live in this way that God has called you to live regardless of what happens to you. Now for the Philippians, this was incredibly significant. I, I don't want you to miss this because around the world, this means in the face of death, we share the gospel. This means that under threat of beheading, the gospel is shared in some nations. Even today. And that was true in Philippi. They were facing great persecution. And for us, it's, it's not death that we're facing, but rather our own pride, maybe? Our fear? But Paul says, don't, don't be intimidated by it. In fact, the whole idea here that Paul says, don't be frightened, when, don't be intimidated when they oppose you, when they say, hey, I don't think I believe what you believe. Don't be intimidated when they say, hey, hey, you're kind of crazy for believing that. We are kind of crazy for believing that. Um, and, and don't be intimidated by these things. But what, what he says is, this is a sign. When you respond the way that God would have you respond to them, this is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you have the truth, that you know God, that you are going to be saved. And what does that response look like? 
Well, throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, we see that the response is the same. What God calls us to, how he calls us to respond to people is the same over and over and over again. And he first said it in Matthew 5. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, this is what he said. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus started this. 2,000 years ago, and he modeled it. He went to the places that he shouldn't have gone. He talked to the people he shouldn't have talked to. He loved the people that were considered unlovable. And what Jesus is saying here is that what we do when we are citizens of Christ, we love people in a way that is undeniable. Citizens of Christ live with an undeniable love, both for people in the church and people outside of the church. And so here's what that means. When you have a friend who says, man, I I don't believe what you believe. In fact, I think your God is terrible. I think if there is a God, I hate him. When they say those things to you, you know what you do? You love them. You don't reject them. You don't push them off to the side. You lean in and you love them in a way that they can't deny. When people disagree with you about what you believe, you love them. When people say no to you, you love them in a way that's undeniable. And in this way, you convince them because it doesn't make sense. How could we love people who are so different from us? How could we love people who don't believe the same things we believe? How could we love people that are antagonistic, that, that in some ways hate us? How could we love them? Because Christ loved us. And when we love them that way, we convince them of the truth about Jesus, of how greatly he loves them, of how deeply he cares for them. And so the call is to love them. And so as we wrap this up, the whole picture, if you just take one thing away from this, this is what it looks like to be a citizen of Christ. Citizens of Christ live on mission keenly aware of the fact that there are people around them who don't know Jesus. Keenly aware of the fact that what we believe is that the people around us who don't know Jesus are going to hell. That's a a strong word, but it's true. There are people in your life who don't know Jesus. There are people in your life who are going to be separated from him forever, who are going to be cast into the lake of fire. I mean, do you care about them at all? Citizens of Christ live on mission by loving people both inside and outside the church the way Jesus did. Unconditionally, undeniably loving them. And Paul says, as he kind of wraps up this thought, as he continues rather this thought into chapter two, here's what he says. He says, this is what it looks like. This is what Jesus did. He modeled it for us. And here's what it looks like to live on mission and to love people like Jesus. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing. and took the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus lived on mission. He was focused on what really mattered. And I think that part of our problem is we forget the mission. I think that part of what's missing is we've forgotten what we're here to do, what God has asked us to do, the mission that he's put us on. And, and you know, it, it was interesting. I was watching this show with my kids over the weekend. Um, it's a show called Brain Games. And I thought maybe I could use some help in that area. And so I thought maybe this show could help me. <clears throat> 
We're watching the show, and, and it was all about how your eyes work, how you, how you focus, and, and I learned something that I didn't know, and, and what I learned is that, is that when you try to focus on something, the area of your eye that can actually focus, like in sharp HD vision, is about this big. It's at the back of your eyeball. And so when you look at something, if you really want to pick up the details, if you want to, if you want to count the number of chairs, you actually have to look at the number of chairs and count each one, Right? You have to look at that thing to focus on. And most of you, you, you can practice this right now because if you look at me, I'm in focus, right? But the table is not if you're looking at me. The things around me are not in focus. They're in your peripheral vision. And what we learned when we watched this show is that you have to be staying looking at that thing in order to keep it in focus. Your peripheral is really good at detecting motion, which means that you're really good at getting distracted. It's really easy for us to see, oh, that person's moving. Oh, that person's moving. Oh, that person. And I'm, I'm looking at all these things. And so here's how this tape plays out. If we don't stay focused on the mission of helping people say yes to God, of helping people find Jesus, of helping people surrender their lives to Christ, if we don't stay focused on that mission, we will become distracted by all the other things. The things in our job, the things in our family, the things in our lives, the things in our finances, the things in the church, right? And pretty soon we found a new mission to focus on, and it's not the mission that God called us to. Because the mission he called us to was to help more people say yes to God, to introduce people to Jesus, to help them become disciples. And so here's what I'm asking you this morning. Live as citizens of Christ. Stay focused on the mission and love like Jesus did. Jesus loved us more than we could ever imagine. So much so that he came in the form of a man as a baby, lived a human life, was tempted in every way, but didn't succumb to temptation. He's the only one to live a perfect life. Followed every single command. The ones that we've broken, all of us are guilty of breaking God's law. Every single one of us have not lived to God's standard. And that means that we deserve to be separated from God forever. That's what he says. Except for Jesus, who took our place, who went to the cross and died for us, making us right with God, if we put our faith in him, he overcame sin and death. And if we trust in Jesus, we can know God. Not only can we go to heaven, like it's not about going to heaven, it's about becoming restored with God. It's about finding the rest for your soul. The thing that's missing is God himself. The thing that's missing is staying on mission. The thing that's missing is being completely and 100% focused on what God is doing and who he is and what he wants for you in this life. So if you want to find the rest for your soul, if you want to find those pieces that are missing, here's what it means. Live on mission. Live as citizens of Christ, on mission, loving one another.